Almost no one is wistful that today is the last of the 330s era of the year 2022. This is day 339 of the year, and perhaps that is too obscure a way to mark the time, but there could very well be someone who will pine. After all, it is the time of the year to bring that kind of tree into homes. Charlottesville community engagement shall aspire to be festive, Knowing full world, the world moves on despite the merriment and mirth. I'm the cheer-resistant Sean Tubbs. On today's program, Fluvanna County will hire a county attorney when the current contract person retires after 37 years. Charlottesville's draft capital improvement program for fiscal year 24 is out and ready for your thorough review. Delegate Sally Hudson and Senator Cree Deeds appear at a legislative forum at the University of Virginia weeks before the General Assembly convenes and months before both will appear on the ballot in a Democratic primary for the new District 11. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, all year long, WTJU Classical provides Charlottesville with a serene and inspiring musical oasis. The radio station now needs your support to keep this classical community vibrant and thriving. Please tune in December 5th through 11th for WTJU's 2022 Classical Marathon, Music Across Time and Place. It's a round-the-clock celebration of classical music, specially programmed for your listening pleasure. Each weekday morning, announcers will share music of different centuries, starting with 1622 today and working their way up to 2222 on Friday. They are also exploring composers from around the world, Europe, as well as Africa, Latin America, the Himalayan region, and the Arctic, and so much more. Please consider a gift today to keep WTJU and the classical community going and thriving. For over three and a half decades, Fred Payne has served as the county attorney in Fluvanna on a contract basis. Payne will soon retire, and Fluvanna is proceeding in a new direction. County Administrator wrote in a staff report for Wednesday's Board of Supervisors meeting that a decision has been made to move forward with the creation of a county attorney department with in-house staff assistance as the county continues to grow. Fluvanna has paid Payne and his law firm Payne and Hodis an average of $292,000 a year between fiscal year 18 and fiscal year 22, a figure that covers all of the county's legal needs, including work to secure easements to supply water to Zion Crossroads. Legal fees have increased in the current fiscal year to an average of $30,000 a month. That higher figure provides the base budget for the new department. Dahl says in the staff report that the county attorney department would need to be made up of a staff of three, a county attorney, a assistant county attorney, and a paralegal and legal assistant. The plan is to hire the attorney first, followed by the other positions. Fluvanna supervisors will discuss the official job description at their meeting on Wednesday. This afternoon, Charlottesville City Council will hold a budget-related work session, including a report on the budget surplus from fiscal year 22. I'll have that in future editions of this program as part of ongoing coverage of the development of the next budget. 
One of the biggest topics in that conversation will be the need to float a large amount of municipal bonds in order to help finance the reconfiguration of Charlottesville City Schools. The draft five-year capital improvement program is now available for the public to review. Before we start, a quick reminder that by state law, council can only approve funds for the next fiscal year. The additional years in the five-year plan are intended for long-term guidance in paying for future infrastructure needs. Here's Chrissy Hamill, the city's budget and performance director, at a November 22 Planning Commission work session on the CIP. It's a capital improvement program, and it's intended to be a multi-year plan to forecast spending for um, anticipated capital projects. It's also supposed to build on the comprehensive plan that you all have worked on and it addresses repair and maintenance of existing infrastructure and uh, um, development of new city facilities as well. For another view of how another locality does this, plan to watch the joint meeting of the Albemarle School Board and Albemarle Supervisors on Wednesday. The draft CIP in Charlottesville anticipates a total of nearly $100 million in revenues for projects in fiscal year 2024. That includes a bond issue of nearly $56 million, which is one of the largest in city history. For comparison, the bond sale for the current fiscal year is closer to $17 million. Future years currently anticipate a return to that general level for bond sales. Other revenues come from projects that previous city councils had agreed to fund through bonds, but subsequent councils defunded them. There was $18.25 million from the defunct West Main Streetscape, as well as $5 million for a parking garage on East Market Street. There are also new sources of revenue listed in the spreadsheet. There's an annual transfer of $75,000 from something called VCF allocation. This relates to a new fee that the city can now receive from the recordation tax. There's over $1 million from the school system in a line item called Fiscal Year 22 Gain Share. There's nearly $1.5 million from the school system in a line item called Construction Grant Funds. There's over $8.6 million from the surplus for Fiscal Year 23 that was placed by Council in a contingency fund for the Capital Improvement Program. On the revenue side, the largest expense is $72.8 million for Charlottesville City School reconfiguration, which would allow construction at Buford Middle School to begin sometime in 2023. Here's a description from a very detailed website on the CIP. This project will reconfigure the grade distribution of middle-year students in Charlottesville City Schools, moving grades 6, 7, and 8 to a renovated and expanded middle school on the Buford site, and moving 5th grade students back to the neighborhood elementary schools. There's another $541,000 proposed for a roof replacement at Charlottesville High School. There are similar replacements slated for Burnley Moran Elementary and Jackson Via Elementary School in future years. This will be the first year that major funding from the city for construction of affordable housing is intended to go through a new application process. An application window began in November and closed on November 30th. Alex Ikafuna, the director of the Office of Community Solutions, said in an email on Friday that nine applications have been received. Yet, as you will hear below, the draft capital budget already assumes that Piedmont Housing Alliance and the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority will receive that funding. 
Other items in the capital budget for fiscal year 24 include $3.7 million for traffic signal infrastructure replacement, with a million dollars programmed for each of the remaining years for this line item. There is $175,000 programmed to address drainage issues at Oakwood Cemetery. Parkland acquisition is slated to increase from $125,000 to $225,000. The yearly allocation for the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund increases to $1.5 million for fiscal year 24 and the remaining years. In fiscal year 24, Piedmont Housing Alliance will get $2.21 million for Friendship Court infrastructure improvements, $1.885 million for a project at the MACA site on Park Street, and $1.125 million for a project at Park Street. All of these funds are non-bondable, meaning the city will spend cash rather than finance. I have a question out to the city for when the competitive process for these projects is set to begin. There is $3 million for redevelopment projects run by Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority for fiscal year 24, and unlike PHA's projects, these can be bonded because a public agency is involved. Other items for future years include $4.217 million in funding for the Stribling Avenue sidewalk in fiscal year 25 that was a requirement for planning commission support and council approval for a rezoning of 170 new units in the Fry Spring neighborhood. The draft CIP anticipates the city will receive $2.9 million from Southern Development in fiscal year 25. There is currently no funding depicted for future school reconfiguration projects from fiscal year 25 through fiscal year 28. This will be an area to watch during the discussions. There is no funding slated for economic development strategic initiatives for any of the five years in the CIP. It's still relatively early in the conversation. The Planning Commission will have a public hearing on the draft CIP on December 13th. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, one person who was both a Patreon and Substack subscriber wants you to know that Albemarle County's Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion is having another quarterly community read and dinner this Thursday night at the Yancey School Community Center in Esmont at 7625 Porters Road. This time around, the book is Esmont, Virginia by Andy Combo Floyd, and the book can be picked up at the two county office buildings and at Little Free Libraries at County Parks for free. The event features a panel discussion and the opportunity to discuss, dine, and hear directly from active community leaders in Esmont. Learn more at engagealbemaro.org. Cree Deeds has never faced a primary challenger in the more than 20 years he's been in the Virginia Senate. Now he is running in the new District 11, but he will have to get more votes than Delegate Sally Hudson in that primary. She is foregoing her seat to make the challenge. The two appeared last week at a legislative forum held by the University of Virginia. This event was not a debate, but maybe offered a glimpse into their different approaches to being a legislator. Deeds had the opportunity to go first and made some remarks about the upcoming General Assembly session, which begins on January 11th. 
This legislative session came at a time when the UVA community is still mourning the murder of three students in November. We owe it to all everybody who's been, I guess, been affected by this tragedy to figure out as much as we can about what happened and why it happened, and then to see what sort of policy changes can be made, if any, to move us forward and to do a better job of protecting the community, protecting kids, protecting everybody. However, Deeds warned that it will be difficult to get any changes in the upcoming session, which will only be 46 days long and will be more influenced by Governor Glenn Youngkin. The, the governor has already announced that he wants $397 million more pumped into tax cuts. Um, but recently he said we need to spend more on mental health. Well, I can tell you that we really do need to spend more on mental health. Deeds also said it will be a very political session with all 140 legislators on the ballot in the first election after redistricting. Delegate Hudson teaches economics at UVA and said she feels how the community has been affected by the shootings. We were just beginning to feel as if we had a semester where the students were somewhat back to normal. You know, students come to the University of Virginia to be pushed. As a teacher, you want school to be the hardest thing that's going on in your students' lives. You want them to stay up all night working on a problem that they're obsessed with or building the set for the play they're starring in, you know, whatever it is. You want them to be able to throw themselves at something here. And so it has been so hard for the last three years to feel as if some of that has been stolen from our students. Hudson said gun safety is a priority for her in the upcoming legislative session. She said her service on health and finance committees keeps her busy during that time, and workforce legislation is a primary interest. There are the, the longer problems in, in our larger community beyond the university's boundaries um, in housing and employment and energy and all the above. Uh, truth be told, it's entirely too much work to squeeze into six weeks, but we do our best. The first question came from a man in Greene County named Craig Decker. It seemed to me that uh, when the Democrats got control of the assembly finally, uh, they put more effort into pushing uh, a progressive agenda and less into solidifying their, their gains. Uh, first of all, uh, do you think that's true? And secondly, uh, if it is somewhat true, uh, what lessons have you learned and what plans do you have on, on going forward? Deeds said he felt that sentiment was somewhat correct and told a story about former Virginia Congressman Rick Boucher, a Democrat who held a seat in southwest Virginia for many years before being defeated in 2010. Back in 2010, when he was getting ready to, um, to lose, he said, you know, there are two things that, that caucus leadership has responsibility for. One is doing good things, and two is protecting members of the caucus. So when you focus so much on policy, sometimes you're not protecting members of your caucus. And the House of Delegates lost the majority last year. You know, I, I think a longer term view is you've got to figure out how over the long haul you can accomplish good things. And that means you've got to focus on protecting your caucus. Hudson said she felt the most important thing Democrats did while holding a majority in both houses was to pass legislation to secure the right to vote. In the first term, we passed extraordinary measures to repeal voter suppression tactics that had been on the books in Virginia for decades. We're now a nationwide leader in convenient voting, in same-day registration, in automatic registration, measures which we've seen 
have great success here among students at the University of Virginia, making it easier for younger people to vote. And most critically, what we did was pass a constitutional amendment that delivered fair maps for the first time in the 400-year history of the General Assembly. You can watch the entire event on YouTube. There will be a lot of this coming up in the next four, five, six months. But that is the end of this particular program and another edition down, several more to go. This is a busy week with a lot to get to, and I'll keep this short so I can move on to the next. About 90% of my work time is spent reporting, as there's a lot to cover in these last weeks of the year and as a new year beckons. This is all paid for by subscribers with a little assistance from sponsors like Ting. And Ting will match the initial payment through Substack for every new subscriber, which I am so grateful for. Today, I picked up another founding member from someone who knows my work but did not know I was back at it. I'm hopeful as more people learn about what I do, I'll be able to hire people to create even more stories about this region of the world that we live in. And even if you don't pay for a subscription, Ting still wants to be your internet provider. If you sign up through a link in the newsletter and enter the promo code COMMUNITY, you will unlock free installation, a second month for free, a $75 gift card to the downtown mall. Thank you to the Fundamental Grang or Vacky, whichever one, for the music in the program. And the opening music comes from PJ Sykes. Any questions, let me know and I will endeavor to answer. Now, time to get on with the rest of it. Thanks for listening.